this on Wednesday, Inauguration Day. And with that in mind, I wanted to ask one of my very favorite baseball trivia questions. And I think I've asked it at least once in the pod before, but I don't know if either of you have heard it yet. In the great baseball strike of 1994-95, Judge issued an injunction against ownership, Mm -hmm. causing a a couple of weeks later, spring training to reopen to the players' union and the season to start with regular players as opposed to replacement players. Can you name that judge? Sonia Sotomayor. Hell yes. Woo! Need a second. Maya Whisper First of all, Maya, Maya Maya is Latina, so it's like that's like a gimme. <laughs> well, I mean, not only that, um, she went to Princeton. So she, Oh, that's yeah, true, that's right. And, and so Princeton grad. Elena Kagan and Sonia Sotomayor and Samuel Alito actually all went to Princeton. So, yeah, so I uh, I'm we are very, very um well attuned to the activities of our alumni, let's put it that way. So I would certainly hope so. Yeah, that that, that is uh, two out of three ain't bad. That is, as Joe Madden would say, the old meatloaf result. I think. Well, Ted Cruz is also one of our yeah. alumni, <laughs> <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> and and someone who my ex-wife actually knows. So, it's, uh, uh, yeah, I went to Kenyon College, and our greatest contribution to this day to political life is still Rutherford B. Hayes. So, ooh, yeah. Well, oh, we also have Michelle Obama. Ooh, yeah, that that works. I mean, yeah. Chicago as a city has Michelle Obama, so I can kind of claim it that way. But. That's true. You do. Yeah. Dawn Ennis went to my college. <laughs> <laughs> you know, wow. I'm, when it comes down to discussing alma maters, I would like to be the most prominent alumnus. But uh, you know, no, actually, Zachary Drucker, a prominent trans woman oh. who is also an actress, is a graduate mm-hmm. of the School of Visual Arts. She's the famous one. Nice. Uh, okay. Cool. Excellent. But uh, but yeah, Sonia Sotomayor, uh, long before becoming a national hero and uh, giving Kamala Harris the oath of office today, was a national hero over 25 years ago when she was the one who said, "Nah." you actually still got to have arbitration and free agency. And then the owner's game was up and they had to play ball. So she has had a place in my heart for a long time because of that. Mine too. Mine too. Yes. And I uh, like her. <laughs> yeah. I hope to meet her. You know, she swore, she swore in Kamala Harris today. So yes. yes. And uh, almost pronounced her name right too. Yeah, I know. Yeah. 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 It's like how Nobody... many times do you have to hear the word Mamala before everyone gets it? <laughs> I haven't heard anybody mention that on. I haven't. I thought. I, I thought for sure it'd be trending on Twitter or something like that, but it wasn't. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we're given what we've been through the past four years. We are letting small microaggressions like that slide. If we generally like the people for today, <laughs> we'll, we'll call you out on it tomorrow. But for right now, we're just kind of enjoying the burden not being there. But come on, you got to know. Inside, deep inside, Kamala must have been like. Come on. Today? Yeah. Come on now. Really? Today? <laughs> Greatest day of my professional life with someone who knows me pretty well at this point, I would hope. Yeah. And you could hear kind of in her voice when she repeated the oath. There, there was a little bit of emphasis on Kamala. Kamala. <laughs> Kamala. <laughs> Get it right. <laughs> oh, I feel bad for Sonia. You know, not since... Um, John Travolta said, Dazeem, whatever. Has <laughs> 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 there been a controversy? So, yeah. So. As long as she doesn't star in Battlefield Earth, I think we can forgive her at this point. Yeah. Did you all yeah. see A Rod? Yes. Next to yes. J Lo? I did. Hanging out and with Barack? 
to, to bring us to the baseball topic on this podcast. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. I'm doing my job. Out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> and, and A-Rod, as long as you don't put the microphone in front of his face at this point, yeah, I'm willing to be okay with his presence there right now. I'd uh, much rather give it to J-Lo than A-Rod. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my podcast partner, Carly Chardonnay-Webb, said, ooh, he looks like he's been eating well. <laughs> <laughs> He has what five hundred million dollars, so I hope so. Yeah, he, he and uh, to get it back to the topic as well, they tried to buy the Mets. Yes, yes, they we, did. They did. I like that segue. Let's do the show open and jump right into that. Uh, so okay. this is Three Strikes You're Out, the Outsports Baseball Podcast, part of the Outsports Podcast Network. Episode number fifty nine, the Ishmael Valdez episode of Three Strikes You're Out. <laughs> My name is Ken Schultz, contributing writer to Outsports Baseball Prospectus and stand-up comedian who has hope. Which it's been a long time since I've had been able to use that sentence non-ironically. We have two voices, two other voices on this pod. The other one you are familiar with. Uh, I Two weeks ago at the end of our discussion said, I am going to have you back on this very soon and we're going to have a much happier to- topic to talk about. The managing editor and co-host of the Transporter Room, Dawn Ennis is back with us. Dawn, great to see you again. <laughs> I'm on Yay, mute Dawn. because my dog, my dog is screaming at the mail carrier. And my son, Liam, is finally retrieving her. <laughs> my dog does not like the mail carrier. He, he thinks, she thinks that um, anyone who comes to the house every day must be some kind of terrible person. So Your dog is listening to a 1950s sitcom. Is what yes. <laughs> also, if a man with a hat walks past the house, she will also bark at a man with a hat. Okay, would you please ah. take her upstairs? Please take her upstairs. Oh, yeah. Tell you, go upstairs. Sorry, Ken. <laughs> All right. If the man with a hat... Walks past the house. I'll just assume you're re, uh, you're reenacting Curious George, is is the reference my brain to went to there for some reason. Uh, we have another voice uh, for the first time joining us in Three Strikes You're Out. You have heard her previously as a guest on the Transporter Room. You have also seen her on her YouTube channel at Melody Maya. It's Melody Maya Monet. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Very glad to be here. It is a pleasure to see both of you here today. And uh, as I promised Dawn, as I mentioned earlier, we were going to talk about something much happier than our podcast from two weeks ago. And uh, that topic happens to be the Mets. What? Meet the Mets. Meet the Mets. That's right. Right. And meet the Mets. Or, or as my friends who are Yankee fans always said, beat the Mets. Yeah. I mean, it's right there. It, it doesn't take Weird Al to get to that one. Okay, two seconds to mention the Yankees, Don. Thanks. Well, so that is, I mean, segueing to one of the questions I wanted to start out with you guys. Uh, so when was the last time the Mets actually forced the Yankees to make a counter move in the offseason to get back the back pages? Hmm. Been a bit, it's, right? It's been a little while. Yeah, that's for before sure. Trump. <laughs> I don't know, Bobby Bonilla? What did they do? I, Bobby Bonilla was the big free agent prize that offseason. I forgot what the Yankees did after that. I, yeah. I do remember that was like 92-ish when they mm-hmm. signed Bonilla, something like that. Mm-hmm. And we're still paying for it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a million a year. <laughs> God, what a deal. What a deal. <laughs> I do like this the idea that uh, Steve Cohen has that, you know, if they're going to have Bobby Bonilla a day every year. Let's make it an actual ballpark celebration and bring out like a lottery sized check to give to him in person. I think that's great. And if Bobby Bo plays along, like so much the better for him. Yeah, why not? He, I mean, give it to him at home plate. 
he'd get booed. <laughs> It'd be so much fun. It would be so much fun. Be a million dollars in credits to the Shake Shack out in my field. <laughs> Shake Shack, by the way, once made Ryan Sandberg incredibly ill after uh, visiting there when he was managing the Phillies. He got food poisoning at Shake Shack. Really? Yeah. Huh. I've always had a I've always had it in for them a little bit since then because you know you're trying to trying to ruin the health of my favorite ball player. Come on now, guys. Ryan well, Sandberg I have to, was an excellent player. I, I have to confess, I'm sorry for bringing up the Yankees, but I've never had a conversation about the Mets without someone saying Yankees. It's just ingrained into me. Maybe it's because I grew up on Long Island. Maybe it's because I'm surrounded by Yankee fans here in Connecticut. Uh, I live in a strange place. North of a certain interstate in Connecticut, everyone's a Red Sox fan. South of the interstate, everybody's a Yankee fan. And we Mets are sort of sprinkled hmm. throughout the highway. Weird. They're like uh, little sleeper cells interspersed. Yes. Go between. Yes. Uh... They say 9% of Connecticut residents are Mets fans. Hmm. So, oh, gosh. Yeah. So yeah, I know. If the Yankees play the Red Sox during the playoffs, uh, do the Mets fans kind of align with Boston? Is like oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I've often said uh, I'll root for the Red Sox as long as they're not playing my Mets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair. and and we beat them that one time we played them in the World Series. <laughs> yes, anyway, too. So and that was had, that time. Yes. So, yes. And, and anybody who beats the Yankees is who I root for. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's and it's you know, it's okay to remind Red Sox fans of that because if there's one thing we know about New Englanders, there's no chip on the shoulder ever. Not no. at all. Not at all. But tell me, the Red, the White Sox and Cubs fans don't have the same kind of rivalry that Red Sox, oh. Yankees, Mets, Yankees have. Oh, it's immensely. Like what you're describing in terms of what you just said about you can't talk about the Mets without feeling like you're mentioning the Yankees. Like it's White Sox fans with that only tenfold. Like, really? Yeah. Hmm. The, the chip on the White Sox fan's shoulder in regards to the Cubs, the way I always describe it, is that there is a big city rivalry here. Cub fans were kind of annoyed by the Sox fans, and we generally try to ignore their team if, if possible. White Sox fans hate the Cubs with a burning passion. There used to be billboards. Uh, there was a newspaper that used to be called the Daily South Town, which just served the South Side and the South Suburbs, and they put up billboards all around the Tri-State Tollway of, it's a beautiful day, White Sox win, Cubs lose. Like that's the thing. <laughs> the definition of a beautiful day. I get it. Yeah. The Southside Irish have, there's a song the Southside Irish have about just their culture. And it has a lyric, our two favorite baseball teams, the go, go White Sox and whoever beats the Cubs. <laughs> wow. That's great. I love yeah. it. Yeah. So, you know, it is, it is really, really deep in the city here. And there's a whole lot of other Chicago culture things that go into it between North side, South side, Protestant, Catholic, rich people, working class, but you didn't ask me to go into sociology, did you? So we were, we're here to talk about Francisco Lindor. It's about time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What an acquisition. This is going to change everything. No, As it should. One, it's, it's one guy. Come on. It's one guy. It's actually two guys. It's one oh, guy yeah. who at, at his best is, Top 10 player in the game, at least, I'd say. You have a guy who does everything well in terms of on base, in terms of power, in terms of speed, uh, in terms of defense at the game's most premium position other than catcher shortstop. Like, this is someone who can change around a franchise if you build around him right. Like, this is, this is somebody every team in baseball should want, and yet somehow only, like, two tried to get him, which is... 2021's offseason but hey it's good to be one of the two teams that are trying right what do you think that is 
Uh, part of it is because ownership in a lot of places right now is kind of holding line on payroll because they think there's going to be a massive work stoppage next winter, and they're probably not wrong about that. Uh, I don't think Sotomayor can step in as quickly as she did last time, unfortunately. Um, and then part of it, I think, I do believe that there is a little bit of collusion going on. That's, you know, it's, they figured out a way to do it that's kind of within the rules, within the rules of the offseason and not as overt as it was in the 1980s. But yeah, I, I think a lot of owners have just kind of decided to stop paying players. And unfortunately, Tom Ricketts is one of them. But Steve Cohen is not. No. And also one of the other things they were saying going in after the Steve Cohen sale is the fact that he was he didn't have to take the hit of the COVID shortened season and the loss in revenues either. So that was another reason they said that a lot of teams are going to be shedding high priced players and not going after them either. So, yeah, that's another excuse that a lot of ownerships and especially Tom Ricketts and the Cubs are making that uh, that the story here that they're trying to sell is because the Cubs invested so much both in the properties around Wrigley Field and in the new cable channel that they accumulated a lot of debt. They were thinking that they were going to be paying off because they would draw $3 million a year to Wrigley. And now with COVID, they obviously don't have any of that. And so they think, they're telling us that they're buried under this, under this mountain of debt. And that's why they're freezing signings. Except, as I told you, most of this is in investments. And investments pay off when you sell them, when you sell the team. So if you're obviously they're not worth a lot now, but once fans come back, they'll be worth a shit ton of money. And it's 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 like they're they're using the excuse of we're not realizing immense profits immediately as a reason not to spend ever because they want to convince us they won't get the money somewhere down the road. See, this is why I think we need to teach children better math. I think that most Americans really don't know how to do math. And I raise my hand in saying I'm one of them. Because it's all a ledger sheet. It's all a balance of profit and loss. And these owners have so much money, so much money, that even with a season in which no fans attended, they're still making money. And they still will continue to make money. What business in the world can have no customers and still make money? (laughs) Major League Baseball. Mm -hmm. As a comedian, I wish I could make the kind of money I did with no customers at all. I've figured out the last part. Maya, imagine your YouTube channel. Imagine you had zero subscribers, right? If you had zero subscribers and you were a big hit, it'd be impossible. But this is what it's all about. If we had zero readers for Outsports.com, we'd fold tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they they still had their TV contracts and all that stuff that people had to pay off on. And they, they also managed to negotiate down the salaries of all the players too. Mm-hmm. So. And let's not forget, uh, I, I always feel bad for the concession workers. Now these mm-hmm. poor schmucks, they, they work their asses off. I once took Lloyd Lindsay Young, who's a famous New York City weatherman, and I got him dressed up as a peanut guy at <laughs> Shea Stadium for a, for a bit for the news. Uh-huh. And, and people were like, hey, Lloyd, what happened? You, you, you didn't do the right forecast? You have to sell peanuts now? And, and that's, a, that's a fucking hard job. Yeah. So I trudged up and down the stairs with him. And, you know, it was a lot of fun for a little bit of, you know, 30 seconds on the news. But at the same time, I just, my heart breaks for these folks because they depend on Major League Baseball to carry them through a few months of the summer and they got screwed. Mm-hmm. And they're the ones that always get written off immediately by ownership whenever there's a work stoppage or there's a national emergency like this. Yeah. And 
this, this is kind of why Steve Cohen scares so much of MLB ownership and why Jerry <laughs> Reinsdorf especially worked to try to prevent him from taking control of the Mets and why they tried to direct it in the direction of A-Rod and, and uh, his group rather than Cohen. Because Cohen isn't playing that game of let's just move around all my assets onto a balance sheet or into my hide them in one of my other investments. He's actually going out there and I'm, I think we're going to see, I mean, now that he's acquired Lindor, you know he's got to extend him. We're about to see what the power of his fi- finances can bring, especially as the richest owner in baseball at this point, too. Yeah, but he also gave up on George Springer. So, I mean... No, I'm okay with that. I, I don't want that fucking homophobe on my team. You wanted Springer, really? Well, I want a center fielder. I mean, it, I, we need a center fielder very badly. Brandon Nimmo is not going to do the job. And oh, I you know, agree maybe, on that. Maybe Jackie Bradley, but I mean, like, no, nobody left has really, can really hit. <laughs> so, you know. I, I unless, say there's got to be a farm guy somewhere. There's got to be a team where the Mets have a guy who's just stellar. They just haven't brought him up yet. They, you know, may, unless they have a, a trade brewing, I, I don't know. Because, you know, they need to be, I'm, I'm just so sick of, you know, in the last few years of, of all, you know, basically being so weak up the middle. You know, Jimenez was great. I will say yes, he was, he was incredible. So I, I think Cleveland really has a find in there that they don't really know about yet. You know, he's not going to be a Lindor, but he's, he's going to be, he may be a star, you know, I think somewhere down the line. So I think that trade isn't as bad as it seems, at least it Mm. won't be, I bet you in a couple of years. Um, For the mistake at the, for the mistake by the lake. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, actually, Jacob's Field is quite wonderful. Have you ever, either of you ever been? I have not. Past I've it, been to, not in it. One, no. one of the most underrated ballparks in baseball, and I say that partly because the greatest game ever took place there. But middle, and I wanted to ask, kind of relating back to Lindor, has there mm-hmm. ever been a time where the Mets had a superstar in his prime shortstop like of that caliber? Because they've had like defensive great. It's like Ray Ordonez in the past, but I can't really ever think of any they've had. Buddy Harrelson? <laughs> um, well, Jose Reyes in his prime was pretty good. Jose yeah, Reyes was, was definitely, yeah, yeah. he was yeah. definitely the, in our, in our lifetimes, in our adult lifetimes, I'd say Jose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably. But Ray Ordonez, oh my gosh. <laughs> that was just, oh, he was great with the glove. But, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. yeah, but not, yeah. Well, and that was an era where you could hide a glove first, no bat shortstop. Like even in the steroid era, you occasionally have guys who were just defensive wizards out there too. Uh, and it improved yeah. your team if you had a great defender at that because there were a lot of teams who didn't, I think. Yeah, and, you know, I was watching like some 86 Mets stuff the other day. And like Rafael Santana was really light with the bat as well. <laughs> Back in those days, you know, he, but he was great with the glove. He was steady. He was basically mm-hmm. what they needed. They didn't need him to hit on that team. Yeah. The eighties, especially were that kind of era where most sh- shortstops were just glove first guys. And then you had an occasional Cal Ripken who would just make the all-star team every year because he was so much better than everybody else, even in his down years. Mm-hmm. There was of course rumors for quite a while that the Mets were going to get Alex Rodriguez before he went to the Yankees. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah. That would have been that kind of thing. Imagine that. Yeah. Yeah. And that would have been. Uh, yeah. yeah. But I love the 80, I love the '86 team. I mean, Keith Hernandez, Mike Piazza. Oh, there was Piazza. So Mike Piazza many. wasn't on the '86 team. '86? <laughs> he was on '86. Oh, Gary Piazza? Carter, '86. Gary Carter, Gary Carter, where you been? Oh Piazza gosh, was, Piazza was in 2000. 
I'm sorry. I'm 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 blanking. <laughs> it's perfectly all right. It's uh, so Dahlia's uh, mad at me now. Now she now you have my dog growling at me. She's very upset. I named my sorry. Son I know Mike 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 Piazza was two thousand. I'm sorry, Dahlia. <laughs> yes, I named my son Miguel after Mike Piazza. Oh my! So awesome. Mm-hmm. It's uh, did did you uh, travel up for his Hall of Fame induction or? Have you been to Cooperstown? Uh, I've never been to Cooperstown. Oh, goodness. Yeah, yeah. All they the have, years we lived in New York, never went to Cooperstown. Uh, they have in their today's game display uh, the Jersey Piazza War on the first game back from 9-11 when he hit the home run. Mm. And it's oh. very prominently displayed in there. And it's got the We Will Never Forget patch on top. It's 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 a, kind of a spellbinding thing. It, it's, it's almost like so much of the Hall of Fame is, you know, old jerseys and old equipment. But that mm-hmm. one, there's a little bit of reverence that surrounds that just because it's, it's such a moment, like everybody recognizes that was such an emotional thing. Yeah, it's part of my resentment of the Yankees because they went to, I think, the World Series that year, right? And so mm-hmm. people, I think, nationally tend to think of that. But I mean, in New York City, the Mets were doing so much work after 9-11. You know, they, back in, in, in Shea Stadium, Bobby Valentine and that whole crew of people, they were giving out food and all kinds of stuff down there. And, and they were the first game back as well. Yeah, but, it yeah. was a it was it was New York needed that. New York really yeah. needed the Mets, and they came through. Yeah, that home run, that home run is amazing. Mike Piazza was clutch in a way that we really miss. You know, uh, I think on the Mets. But he's not gay. <laughs> <laughs> Just ask him many times. Yeah. <laughs> well, He'll you know, you. My, my ex-wife really loved him, so that almost nails puts a nail in the coffin that he probably is gay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Trish, I hope you're listening. That's you know, great. Really weird to think that that was an era that was just like a couple decades ago where players, it was considered a normal thing for a player to call a press conference to announce he wasn't gay, which yeah. you look at from the perspective of now and go, what's your deal, man? And his deal, of course, was the New York Post wouldn't get off his ass about it. Right, right. You know, we were we were talking on the uh, Transporter Room podcast about whether Biden will make so many changes that a pro baseball player or another major uh, of the four major sports male player will come out this year or during this term. What do you guys think? I think I'm kind of with our colleague Alex Reamer when he on his podcast mentioned Mm -hmm. that that's a subject that's kind of independent of whoever's in the White House because the cultures in every sport are so isolated and insular that it's really about a player kind of taking it upon himself. And it's, I, I don't think the, the philosophy of whoever's running the country really matters in the clubhouse to good plug for the player. sports Kiki there. Excellent. Yes. <laughs> Maya, what do you think? I, I agree. I mean, yeah, I, I think especially it, it's still an old boys network in there. You know, I, it's still, it's better than it's probably ever been in history, but that's not saying a lot. You know, all we need to know it, about that is what happened with Jared Porter, right? So, yeah, um, yeah. It's, yeah, misogyny still covers that sport because I refuse to believe that this, this was the only person that he ever texted or that. Oh, yeah, just that one woman, that one time, right. or Only that 62 one times. Yeah. Right. Or, or that none of the executives that the Mets, you know, vetted him with had no clue that he had ever done anything like this in the past. You know, I think, I think um, they, they protect each other. I think mm-hmm. they really do. And they probably never thought that this story would come out, except that mm-hmm. apparently ESPN had been sitting on it since 2017. Right. And so 
because a woman contacted them. Now, see, here's the thing, though. I think a lot of people don't understand. Misogyny is akin to homophobia, is akin to transphobia. They're all related. It's like it's like yeah. one disease is connected to the other disease. And if they don't nip all of them, they just all spread. And at the root of it is misogyny and, and the way baseball treats anything feminine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's at, at the heart, uh, it's a very good point, is that it is a culture, it's the dominant culture, the, the white, hetero, male, cis culture, that has ruled over the sport since the very beginning of it. And any time that there is someone who wants equal footing within that culture, they almost always view it as some kind of intrusion. And that's the result is that we have uh, in baseball this really awful tradition uh, that, you know, goes back to, you know, like Dave Kingman sending a dead rat to a female reporter to Jack Morris saying the only time he wants to talk to a woman is when he's naked is if she's on top of him to you know, Jared Porter sending these 65 harassing texts that end in a dick pic from a dick. <laughs> yeah. I-, I love the way you tried to cover that too. That, Oh, well, it wasn't mine. It was, it was some other dick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's file. It's a file. Dick, you know. <laughs> I keep it on my phone. <laughs> you want to look at a dick to compare. <laughs> yeah. You try yeah, to say it was a joke. Like, you know, it was an ironic dick pic because that happens. That's, the, that's always the excuse of, oh, come on. You know, and same with uh, when, when transphobia raises his ugly head. Come on, can you take a joke? And no yeah. offense to the comedian in the, in the room, but some things just aren't funny. No. I mean, not it's certainly. Any, anything that's an attack on a community like the trans community is, is not funny. It's by definition, you are punching down, which is the very opposite of good comedy. Yeah. And uh, we've all seen comedians who don't believe in that. You know, Dave Chappelle, Ricky Gervais, these mm. guys. It's like, but, you know, another person apparently who's got quite a reputation of being harassing to the ladies is Trevor Bauer. Really? And, uh, uh, yeah. yeah. He's the worst. And, and, you know, that's, I don't know, you know, the way the Mets have been, or at least, you know, the, the people have been fawning over him. I, I think, I think now, now that they don't have to spend money on Springer, they're, they're not going to sign Bauer either. I, I, think you know, I wasn't, I wasn't aware of that past of his. Yes. Wow. That's he, something I don't of, want on my team then. Yeah. He is, he is one of the very worst offenders in terms of Twitter harassment of women. Like, and he's got legions of really, really awful white male fans who, if he mentions a woman on his Twitter feed, they take that as their cue to gang up. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's the Barstool crowd, huh? Oh, God. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's the one, I suppose, bright side to the Cubs deciding they're not going to spend any money at all this offseason is they're guaranteed not to sign Bauer. And that's, that's one bit of relief off of, off of our shoulders. They've also decided they're not going to field the pitching staff this year, which is you know, <laughs> unfortunate. But that means no Bauer. I'll, I'll take it, I guess. You know, mm. and if I could criticize the Mets, you know, I, I <gasps> right. imagine a Mets fan criticizing the Mets. That's, it never happened. But, <laughs> but I mean, uh, you know, as much as they got praise and applause for quickly firing Jared Porter, I, um, this whole thing yesterday about, you know, oh, you know, we had no idea. And, and, and I'm like, guys, and not that I think they knew about it, but I mean, like, they just, you know, when you rely on the same group of white cis guys to give you recommendations, you're going to get the same kind of person back. And this, you know, and 
Sandy Algerson made the point of saying, hey, you know, unfortunately, there aren't really many women in the sport, you know, that we only talk to men. And I was like, geez, Sandy, if, <laughs> yeah, if only if only you were in a position to do something about that, you know, <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm shocked, shocked that gambling is going on in this establishment. <laughs> oh, yeah. Gambling, we banned for life, but harassment, nah. you know, we'll just yeah. let you go to your next job. Uh, I mean, I mean, but let's, let's face it, though. Just hiring women isn't the solution. I want them to hire women, mm -hmm. but it's really about what Billy Bean talks a lot about in terms of culture. Yeah. You yeah. know, and, and you're a man, so I'm not going to make you <laughs> defend it because, you know, I pretended to be a man. Maya did too for many years. But yeah. I, I, I speak for most women I know who say, we just don't get it. We don't get why this is. Is it primal? Is it taught? Is it something that dads teach sons? My dad never taught me that. I don't know. I just don't know what it is that makes a guy think, well, I'll just treat her like she's not a human being. As a man who uh, spent a great part of his childhood getting verbally smacked down by other boys for having emotions... Uh, I raised my hand. Yeah, I mean, this is amateur psychology at its best, but I think that that is a big, big deal to do with it. That because we're taught as men to uh, stop being so sensitive is something I heard a lot in my childhood. Oh, me too. Emotion is a sign of weakness. That there's there's something that any any other culture that kind of introduces healthier connection to emotions is, I think, also a threat to that dominant culture. And it's, 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 I mean, front offices are like this really toxic combination at this point of not just the baseball culture we've been discussing, but also that kind of Ivy League buddy-buddy frat culture that's also has its own real toxic masculinity that it brings along with it. Uh, and a good friend of the pod, actually, my friend Sarah Sanchez wrote an article about the Jared Porter firing yesterday that kind of harkened back to his days. I mean, the text he sent out were the year he was employed by the Cubs. Right. And she had a very good point about it that this was the 2016 Cubs, the greatest team of my life, but it was also right. populated by pieces of shit like Aroldis Chapman and Addison Russell and also Jared Porter on the front office side. And so that means we don't know exactly what the Cubs knew, but I think Sarah said, and this is her point, it's, we're pretty safe to conclude that they were okay with not knowing what Jared Porter was doing and what yeah. their players were doing to their wives at that point. And that's something about the culture that really needs to change immediately. And this whole idea of like, oh, you know, if if it, Jared Porter could do it, any, you know, the Sandy Alderson statement about, you know, that I guess he was a really good guy and he couldn't believe that he would do something like that. There were statements along those lines, you know. Well, like, only bad guys do things like this, right? Yeah, not good like, guys. Yeah. Like it's not, it was really kind of not all men in a, in a, in a roundabout kind of way. And I, yeah, it just, I think I, as somebody who did transition from the male world to the female world, I can tell you that most men are woefully, you know, they just do not know what's go actually going on in, in, in the world of women in terms You're of talking about heterosexual men. Yeah. Heterosexual. <laughs> yeah. Men. Well, you know what? No, I won't even go that far because really? this is really about, this is about power. This isn't really about sex. And I think a lot of people mistake that, you know, it's, it's always about power because I've been sexually harassed by more gay men than I've ever been harassed by a straight men. Um, Maya, tell, tell, tell the audience and Ken about mm -hmm. the guy who with the, the hands. 
Well, there's been more than one guy, but I mean, like the most recent one was just a few months ago. You know, I, I work in a in a gay club here in Orlando, and I was just walking off the dance floor, and this and this young gay man just walked by and just grabbed me, grabbed one of my breasts as hard as he could and squeezed it, and just kept walking. And you know, a lot of these men, if you stop them, they'll say, "Well, I'm not gay. I mean, I'm not straight. You know, I'm not I'm not attracted to you," as if that is the excuse, and that makes it okay. So, you know, so this sort of behavior is taught to all men. It isn't just taught to the ones who are attracted to women. And I think that is an important point to bring up and also something that, you know, makes us, should make us realize that when we're looking at the behavior of men, we should be looking at more than, oh, boys will be boys because, you know, they're, they think a pretty girl is pretty and they're trying to go good. It's actually a lot more than that. Yeah. It's baked into the culture, not just in baseball, but in so many ways, like, the first thought that came to my mind when you were describing that is, ah, that guy's got a future as a comedy club owner. So, <laughs> uh, or, or, or a club where Maya performs as a singer, too, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, Zoom is about to kick us out, unfortunately, because I'm cheap. Oh. So uh, do you guys have anything to plug? Well, I still got you here. Maya, you first. Well, you plugged my YouTube channel, but it is at Melody Maya, and it's M-E-L-O-D-Y-M-A-I-A. Awesome. And, and if you're in the Orlando area... Maya has a business. It's Monet Boudoir Photography. That is and, true. And I encourage everyone to at least check it out because this has opened my eyes to a form of photography that is beautiful and very sexy. Yeah. And I get to I'll just say, beautiful women. Which as I'll a just say read outsports.com where you'll read the wonderful writings and sarcastic wit of Ken Schultz and longish pieces by Dawn Ellis. <laughs> 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 <laughs>